Welcome to the Idea Climbing Podcast. In this episode, my guest is Michael Davis. His work is focused on helping you attract more clients, create more efficient teams, and increase your influence through more effective speaking, business storytelling, and online presentations. He helps experienced speakers, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals confidently deliver memorable and meaningful talks of any length, even on short notice. We discuss why people don't care about your offering unless you can solve a problem that they have. Michael shares how to craft your story to describe the solution that you can offer them, how to have your clients give you the marketing messages that you need to grow your business, why listening more than you speak will build more business relationships and more golden nuggets of advice. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for being here, Michael. I appreciate you taking the time. Sure. I'm very happy to be with you and appreciate what you're doing to try to bring more wisdom to your listeners. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'd love to jump right in. In one of our last conversations, we were talking about mentoring and marketing and just a lot of business topics. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned because of mentoring, you got some phenomenal marketing advice from one of your mentors, and that was done is more profitable than perfect. Yes. What's the story behind that statement and how you got it? was back in 2002, and there was a gentleman named Darren LaCroix. He, at the time, was the reigning champion of uh, world, the world champion of public speaking with Toastmasters. I'd never met him before. I helped set up this big event for him and another speaker. And when I saw him, I immediately thought, I like this guy. I loved his style, his approach. He was humorous. He connected with the audience. And I thought, wow, this is somebody I'd, I'd really liked to work with. And eventually we did. And one of the first pieces of advice he gave me, because I was really struggling uh, because of insecurity and fear, I wanted my speeches and stories to be perfect. I didn't think I should get them out there into the world until they were ready. And he gave me that advice. Michael, done is more profitable than perfect. He said, that's actually a business mantra that I live by. You got to get the products and services out there. It also works for speeches and stories. Nobody has ever sat down and written a fantastic, memorable speech the first time. It had to go through drafts and rewrites. And to his words, he said, the best speeches aren't written. They're rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. And so is every product, every service. So that's where that was born from. And it really helped take the pressure off because I realized it doesn't have to be fantastic for the first version. I've just got to get it out there and start getting feedback. So what would that look like or what could that look like for a B2B service company? They're saying, I'm not a speaker, but they might need to do it to to get exposure. But how does that apply to my service? What would you tell them? Well, there are many ways we could answer that. Let's start with networking. A lot of times people go to networking groups and they, I've watched them just literally shaking. They're so afraid to stand up and do a 30 to 60 second, or maybe they've got the five minute spotlight that day. Go practice that at networking events. See what kind of feedback you're getting. If people aren't coming up to you and asking you for your business card or your contact information, that's feedback. That's telling you, hey, your message isn't hitting with me. So change it up. Try something else. Uh, I love this uh, advice. I, I, listen, I used to follow Tony Robbins a lot. And he said, people overcomplicate this. If you try something and it doesn't work, guess what? 
try something else. <laughs> try something else. Keep testing and finding what works. Same thing here. It could be you're introducing a new product and you're using marketing pieces or you're using a sales script. If you're not getting the kind of response you think you should, don't give up on it. Try something else. I was very recently within the last week going through a workshop with one of my clients and we realized after he's decided on his target market, where he's going to go, it came up that he actually, I forget exactly how it wove in this way. He said, actually, I want to tell a story. I don't want an elevator pitch. And it was this aha moment of I'm adding that to the workbook, number one. But what has your experience been with that as far as a, was that idea on target? Because he got really excited. So did I, the tell a mini story. Don't try to pitch someone and sell them the first time they meet them. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, as a storytelling consultant and coach, I love that because I believe stories are the number one weapon or tool that we have in our business communication toolkit. It's the one asset that you and I have that no one else can duplicate. People can match us on price, on service, on delivery time. You pick an, an aspect of what your company offers and there's somebody else out there that can match it or beat it. They cannot match your stories because they're the, you're the only one that experienced it. And I love that your client was enthusiastic about it. Because the traditional pitch of, hi, I'm Michael, I'm a speech coach, this is my company, nobody cares. They don't care until they know that you can solve a problem they have. Ooh, and story, like yeah, stories can illustrate that. I, I try to avoid cliches. And I, I, I'm going to say this one, I'm not a big fan of it because it's too obvious. It's the People don't care what you know until they know you care or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, people don't, I don't even believe that one as much as people don't care what you do until they know you can solve their problem. That's what they're looking for. The fact that you care about them and all that, that's nice, but what, let's get to the bottom line. I'm hurting, fix me. Right? When we go to the doctor, if we're not feeling well, to the point where maybe we can't work or we can't function normally. Do you really care if the doctor cares about you as much as can you fix me, doc? I need to be able to live my life. That's what we want. That's that's I call it complaining. Well, there's two things, but one of them has a different word in it that I don't want to put on the podcast. So I'll stick with I tell people it's complaining over coffee. Okay. Because instead of people saying, oh, I need the CEO of a fortune, whatever it might be, it's like, well, what if I know 10 of them and they don't have a problem that you can solve? An introduction would mean nothing. Right. How do you, for lack of a better term, sift through the people and really isolate what, here's the problem I solve and I'm going to build a story for it. Is it just from talking to your clients? Is it experimenting because, you know, putting it out there is more profitable than perfect? How can you develop your story? When I was a financial advisor many years ago, one of the best exercises I was ever given was to go back to my top 20 clients and ask them, why did you originally do business with me? What is it about my service that stands out from others? And why do you continue to work with me? Well, one of the questions they should have had us ask is what was the problem that I help you solve? I love that as an exercise. Go back to your, however many people you've got, go back to your top 10 at least and ask them, what problem did you have when we originally started working together that I helped you solve? 
Now, don't just take their surface answer, by the way. As a speech coach, people might say, well, you helped me give a good speech. Mm, that wasn't the problem. The real problem typically is their fear, their insecurity, their lack of self-esteem. What it's, it's some emotional issue they were dealing with that I helped them transform. The great stories are about transformation. And when we're telling a successful client story, for example, the listener wants to hear the story of someone who had a problem, overcame it, and was transformed by it. When I was a financial advisor and I went back and asked those folks, if they would have just said, will you help us retire? That's not going to emotionally connect with others. When they said, you helped us create a peace of mind, security, confidence to know we could retire on the lifestyle we want, now I was getting somewhere. Well, I would encourage if you're listening to this, if you're not sure what to say, go ask your clients and record everything they say because they're giving you the marketing language you need. And you can update your website LinkedIn profile based on what they say, All not what you think. Exactly. So if they say, you know, and if if I was talking with a client of mine, Patty, who was, was one of my signature stories, when I first met her, she was stressed out. She was literally sick to her stomach and not sleeping because she had to give a big speech. And she was just so worried about it because of some bad experiences she'd had. Well, I, I took that language and I put it in some marketing pieces. Do you feel stressed out, sick to your stomach and losing sleep about giving a speech? She said it. And a lot of times I see this marketing language. It's, it's so generic and it doesn't have any emotional hook to it. I could take her words, stressed out, sick to my stomach, sleepless, which are very emotional. Or I could say, are you having difficulty giving presentations? Does the, thought of, <laughs> does the thought of speaking make you uncomfortable? That's not going to hit people emotionally. And I think that it sounds like that's applicable to most any service company. It's not just about speakers. Yeah. Try to avoid, I mean, don't try, avoid the flowery language. Get to the bottom line emotional words that your clients were experiencing before you met them. And then the total opposite. What are they experiencing today? They feel more confident. They feel safe, secure, happy, joyful, whatever it is. And put that in your marketing also, because that's what's going to connect with prospective clients. They're going to say, I want that too. Can we talk? How do you get to the emotional answers? Is it just asking why, why, why? Like some people, you know, like I think it's the fifth why gives you the real answer. Is it that or is it other things that you do? You've got to dig. And Mark, I think I've shown you this before. I keep this golden shovel on my desk because my job as a consultant, even as a speaker and trainer is to dig. And it's not like an interrogation. Well, why'd you say that, Mark? Oh, really? Well, why'd you say that? Okay. You, you've got to be more subtle about it, but Dick, you can ask a question. Tell me about the last time you spoke and what happened. Why was that such a problem for you? And they'll give me the answer. I, you know, I went, uh, I talked too much. I get, put too much information in. People were confused about my message. Hmm. How did that impact you? 
well, I lost, I, I didn't feel confident. I was frustrated. I was upset. I was angry. Mm. Really tell me more. How did that impact your business? I mean, just keep digging. A lot of time, and I was, I started selling in my early 20s. Because we're insecure when we're younger, and often when we're dealing with people older than mm -hmm. us, we really get intimidated. We're afraid to ask the questions because we think we'll upset people. What, what do you mean, upset them? Well, I don't want to make you mad if I am getting too personal with my questions. If I ask you three times, well, why? tell me more. Why was that a problem? Help me understand. We're afraid, oh my gosh, she'll get mad at me or she'll get upset and they won't want to talk. The exact opposite is true. People, especially in today's world more than ever, are desperate for somebody to listen to them. We are so disconnected more than we ever have been. And if you take the time and you're genuinely interested in a problem a person has and you ask respectful questions and you don't make them feel like they're being interrogated, but you just keep digging and making sure you understand exactly what they mean, they're going to love you. Okay, it's not about, by the way, that's not the reason that people, <laughs> we want people to interact with us, but they're going to love the fact that you gave them attention. You took the time to show and demonstrate you want to understand their problem. That alone will separate it, it, separate you and you can dig stories out from that alone. Could you speak a little more about listening? I know that's one thing I've had mentors tell me the 80-20 rule applies, maybe even 90-10. And I, I have noticed that in conversations, I'm very aware of when someone is gregarious and they come in and they're genuine. Tell me about you, Mark. And it's like, wow, I love talking to this person. Then there's other people where it's, you didn't ask question one about me. What the heck? Can you talk more about the yeah. importance of listening to drive it home? Yeah, it, we have to be careful with this because it's in every sales book. Listen, it's every leadership book. Listen, but I find we're still not doing a very good job of it because we're in such a hurry to get to the bottom line this is a big problem in, in American business. We have evolved as a culture to bottom line thinking, let's go, let's get there. It's especially true in men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have to slow it down and shut that voice off in our head that assumes we know what they mean when they give us an answer. Here's an example. If I sit down with a prospective client and I said, well, why do you think you need a speech coach? And they'll say, well, I want to be a better speaker. I want to have more impact. Well, what a lot of people do is they take that phrase impact, they put their own perspective and they run it through their own filter and say, okay, I know what impact means. So here's what we're going to do to help you. No, I have no idea what the phrase impact means. For some, it might mean I need to persuade people to buy into my political view. For others, it might be I need to convince 100 people at my next event to donate to our foundation. Or it might be I need half the room to sign up for a one-to-one -one meeting with me. I, I just don't know. And that's why we have to dig. We and this is a conversation issue that we all have and a communication issue. We shortcut the process because we think we know what people mean. And if you've ever been in a relationship with anybody, business or personal, you know, the, the, the road to conflict is paved with misunderstanding and assumption. So when you hear phrases, try to shut off that voice in your head. This is, oh, I know what that means. Dig. If somebody says to me, I want more impact and influence. Okay, tell me, what does that look like? What does that mean to you? 
you just got to slow the process down so you can say at the end of that brief snippet of conversations so if i hear you correctly you mean impact means this and fill in the blank and just repeat back what they said to them and if they say yes they're going to feel better because they feel understood and if you, they say no that's not what i meant they're still going to be okay with it because you took the time to clarify so you could understand it. Either way, you win. And that helps you get more clients because I would imagine they feel understood instead of sold. Exactly. That's exactly it. When did you learn that? Was it earlier in your career or later in your career, this whole philosophy of questions and how to market yourself through stories? I learned it in my 20s. I internalized it somewhere along my 40s and early 50s. <laughs> it's one thing to know it intellectually. It's another to experience it and understand what it truly means. It's so, like, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I just had a conversation with my stepson this morning. He just, he went through a breakup recently and, and the girl he was dating was very honest with him. She said, I'm not over this last relationship and I don't want to lead you on and I'm not ready for another serious relationship. <laughs> I said to him, you, you don't appreciate this right now, but that honesty was the best thing she could have done for you because if she hadn't been, it would just led to more heartache. And he said, I understand that Mike intellectually, but my emotions haven't caught up with it yet. It's a pretty insightful kid for his age, but he, he, he got that in the same thing. We learn these ideas and we intellectualize them, but until we start to experience them and internalize them into our guts, there's a disconnect. Well, it sounds like that means people listening need to go out and do what you just said. It's not going to be perfect the first time, but it's going to be better than another sales pitch. Yeah. And every time you go on a sales conversation or you're talking with your team or whoever it is, take two, three minutes afterwards and ask yourself two questions. What did I do well? And the second question is, what can I do better? A question not to ask yourself is, where did I screw that up? Because mm, <laughs> we yeah. all do that. I see this with speakers frequently. They walk off stage or they walk off camera and they immediately think, oh my gosh, that was stupid. Why didn't I say that? I screwed that. Up. No, that's not helping you. That's just making it worse. Those are valid questions later, but give yourself some credit for what you did well, because that will help you it'll motivate you to do the, the thing again, take that next step, go through that next sales conversation, that next phone call, and you can keep tweaking and keep tweaking. But first, give yourself credit, then ask, what can I do better? And you may have a list of 10 items on that, what can I do better list? Mm -hmm. Do not try to change 10 the next call. Pick the top one on the list, work on that one. Maybe it takes you two, three, four, five times to, to improve on that and master that one. Then once you get through that, go to the number two on the list. One of the big challenges I see that really harms presentations of any kind is people try to make too many changes too fast. They don't understand that this is an evolutionary process. Well, this is a perfect way to close in light of what you just said, 10 items just take on one at a time. It's an evolutionary process. Someone's listening and they say, okay, I can go and replay this again because I love what I heard. 
Yeah. I'm busy. I'll do one thing to get started. And it could be something you've already spoke about to reiterate. It might be something you didn't, but if they are thinking that I'll do one thing, tell me what I should do to get started. That one thing, what would you tell them? As far as I get mentoring, I mean, I'm sorry, I get marketing, I get storytelling. What's the most important thing I should do if I want to get started to do what you're teaching? Uh, that, that's a really good question, Mark. I, I think the first thing you should do is start to pay attention to your thoughts. If you're having a challenge, there's a reason why. That is born somewhere. I just wrote a post the other day. I've actually created a story about this. When I was um, 31, I was told either fix your presentation skills, become a better presenter. You're going to lose your job. And that helped me, that forced me to face a fear that I'd had for many years, fear of standing in front of people and speaking. I didn't understand what the fear was. Why was I so afraid? I've since come to believe that we all have it. It's in our DNA for various reasons we won't get into here. But I had an experience when I was six years old where I got humiliated in front of my class in first grade. And because of that, I internalized the message, don't stand in front of people. Mm. That is a scary, terrible thing. And it held me back for 25 years. Now, that lesson served me well when I was a little boy trying to protect myself from my formative years from further embarrassment, humiliation. The lesson no longer served itself 25 years later. In fact, it was hurting me. So if you have a challenge, if you are stuck somewhere, there's most likely a root cause from your childhood that, that gave you a message that said, here's why you should avoid this situation. These circumstances or this experience, go revisit that and see if that lesson no longer served you well. That is awesomely insightful. Thank you so much for the time, the insights and the stories. Thanks, Mark. Good to be with you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I also hope that you'll subscribe to the Idea Climbing podcast and rate us on iTunes. Visit ideaclimbing.com to learn more about idea climbing and hear more episodes about mentoring, marketing, and big ideas.